Hello there and welcome to the Franchise Radio Show. Terrific you're here. And it's Brian Keane again. Really excited today. I've got a terrific speaker with me. I've got David McLean. David has a business called Mentor for Hire. And here we've got a man that is training. He is the training industry. He's been in this field for many years. From an amazing background. His experience spreads across so many different disciplines. Um, and uh, he started off his career in retail packing of bags in checkout, so with most of our kids, a lot of us started off at Woolies or wherever, and he then moved into general retail where he works in the business-to-business area. He owned a couple of retail outlets himself and operated those. Then he moved into air traffic control, uh, a very demanding area, and obviously learned a lot about systems there, because if you can't operate systems in air traffic control, you've got a problem. Uh, he started his own training business way back in 1988, uh, he focused initially in a, I think would be an incredibly challenging area, but we'll find out later, working with long-term unemployed people, training them to enter the retail, the retail workforce. Um, and uh, he's in um, national organisation, in the franchise area, people like Harvey Norman, Spotlitch Group are in all, have all sorts of businesses, and a whole range of others. And these days he's specialising in mentor for hire, and that's why it's absolutely appropriate for us because he works with small to medium-sized enterprises. David, welcome. It's lovely to have you here. I'm glad I've got you. Oh, good. Thanks, Brian. It's great to be here. This is lovely. I have had to twist his arm a few times. So, David, I don't know whether that summary uh, was was uh, was adequate. Anything you'd like to add to that? You're very welcome. No, thank you very much. I, I think... Uh, the bottom line for me is that I'm passionate about empowering people and organisations to improve their performance um, and with a focus on delivering uh, high-quality training for those organisations. Okay. What we're calling today's session is why training counts every time. So uh, having having uh, having said that, um, I suppose my first question to David is a pretty natural one, but why is training so important? Uh, Brian, I think the key is particularly for a franchise uh, for a number of reasons. The first one, obviously, is to meet the due diligence requirements and legal requirements of the franchise, developing a systematic approach to training both the franchisee and their uh, team members is critical. The, uh, the second thing is, obviously, the performance of the franchise. So by having uh, the provision of uh, high-quality training, for the franchisee and their team, uh, it means that then the franchise will uh, perform better. Um, it means the franchisee will get uh, more profit and the franchisor will get uh, more royalties. So it's a win-win for everyone. Right. That, that makes common sense, doesn't it? And uh, But that, that's all fine. And everybody says, yes, I train my people. Um, but there's obviously many ways you can handle training. So what are the sort of issues from your vast experience that are most important for the point of view of designing an effective training system that works? Look, there's a number of key aspects, and I've got a couple of uh, um, case studies that are perhaps useful. The, the first one is the work that I did with the Shell Company of Australia, and I initially started training their single-site franchisees when they moved to their franchise model back in 1988. Um, I ended up training some 850 of their single-site franchisees uh, all around Australia and also through Papua New Guinea, which was quite an interesting assignment. One of the uh, key things that came up um, for me during that training and the development of that training um, was the 
importance to make sure um, that the training is designed appropriately. And it's about looking at outcomes. So it's about clearly understanding the outcomes that are required for the training. Um, there's lots of other things that then flow on from that. But the first question that I tend to ask people is, what's the outcome that you want to get from your investment? Because training is an investment, both in the, the business itself, um, in the proprietary brand of it, uh, and also in the performance of the people that will be working in the business. Right. Okay. So, so uh, you've addressed that. So, um, I suppose when we come down to that and look at franchising, um, how how do you actually determine that from the point of view of franchisees? Well, the, uh, there's a couple of things that need to happen. Obviously, for a, a franchise, the training is the way that the franchise communicates the values and the mission um, to their people. Um, it's what sets up those important parameters. Um, a good franchise agreement is quite uh, is very useful, perhaps um, very important in setting up a structured training approach because the training really is just simply communicating all of those important aspects. Um, the way the training is designed is critical, and a lot of people will have uh, trainers that are fantastic at doing their job. And I work with a, a large coffee chain. Uh, their trainer was a lovely fellow and made absolutely amazing coffee. He was a, an internationally renowned uh, and uh, he, uh, he was fantastic at teaching people how to make coffee. One of the things that he perhaps wasn't very experienced in was developing of training. So his training was very content-driven. He had one session that had 120 PowerPoint slides on it uh, for a, a one-and-a-half-hour session. And so um, the practical part of the training was fantastic, but the important underlying knowledge, skills, and abilities that training needs to impart as well uh, was overlooked and became quite boring and ineffective. So... When we start to look at developing training, we need to look at adult learning styles uh, and strategies that can be used to ensure that engagement is uh, uh, kept at a high level with participants and that they actually walk out at the end of the training uh, with the knowledge, skills and abilities that they're required to have, as well as being motivated to put those things into place. Right. One so of the, yeah, sorry. sorry. I'm, I'm very focused on using an adult learning model called uh, Cold. David Cold designed an adult learning style inventory, um, and uh, I use that uh, very effectively in the development of our training because every person learns just a little bit differently. We all have different preferences that what, for the way we take on information. So um, a good training program should start with clearly defined outcomes and then it should have the application of solid adult learning principles to ensure the transmission, as I said, of those knowledge, skills and abilities are made effectively into the workplace. Right. I'm with you. Okay, so already this is, this is broader than most people's expectation, I think, when it comes to training. Um, you know, I think most people see, see training as what you referred to, just the on-the-job element of just doing the work. It doesn't, they don't necessarily encompass the whole aspect of the, of the organisation, their values, their, their, their whole sort of, um, uh, energy, I suppose, if you like, the mission, the overall, the overall sort of sense of the business that you need. So in order to achieve that, 
Yeah, yeah, no, 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 look, I, I agree 100% with you, and and often this is overlooked. Training seems to be pushed to the side, but it, in fact it's probably one of the most critical critical communication processes within the business because right from the word go, um, you have the opportunity then to communicate effectively that, that mission, the values and the principles of the business, the outcomes and achievements and goals that the business wants to achieve, but probably most importantly, it also then communicates how you want to achieve them. Uh, and that can be in a moral sense, and it also can be in a, a financial and performance sense. Right, so it's the ethical as well as the, sort of the numbers, the performance, and as you say, the, the accounting side. So when we look, obviously there's many ways of, of training. A lot of people do it off the top of their head. Here we are, do, this is how you do the job, and you described that barista there who was amazing at making coffee, but didn't really understand the aspect of adult training. I suppose there we look at, so how do you achieve that? What's the sort of formats that are available and what do you recommend from the point of view of how you best achieve those outcomes with training delivery? Well, look, that's a great question, Brian, and uh, um, it's definitely something that's very important. Um, I, I think, for me, the most important message to get through uh, in regards to this is that training is not a one-off thing. It's an ongoing cycle of development and learning. And the businesses that do this properly are the ones that really thrive. Um, Shell decided to move from a single-site operation into a multi-site operation, and I had the task of developing a three-day residential program for their, they call the customer service leaders. You'd know them as a site manager for some 850 service stations right around Australia. And, and we delivered 55 of these residential programs over a two-year period, training um, nearly 1,700 of their people uh, to be managers. The interesting part of that program was that um, there was a lot of work put into the initial development of it. Um, as I said, we, we looked at content and outcome, but we also looked at adult learning processes to ensure that there was engagement um, and uh, a commitment to make the change. One of the uh, second aspects which was probably most critical in the process was that um, we had a, a four-week follow-up meeting at site. So after the uh, CSLs completed their uh, three-day residential program, um, we actually went back into their site and reviewed the performance uh, against a checklist and the uh, franchise standards to see whether they'd been able to implement the uh, training that they'd learned. Um, often I hear people um, they'll, they'll ring me up and say, oh, David, I, I need someone on a training program. Can you just put him on a half-day program and we'll fix him all up? And, and that's not going to happen. Uh, you need to have a long-term view in training, and it needs to be followed up with support. And one of the key aspects of that, of course, is the their supervisor or their leader needs to be willing to support and mentor them through this change of behaviour. Um, a one-day or a half-day or whatever-day training program is not going to have immediate results unless it's supported by management and their direct team leaders. So people's expectations, um, certainly bears my experience over the years of the initial training, are actually too much. It's just That's just a step in the process. It's just one of the elements um, which I'll ask you more about. So, so having said that, what, what are the formats to achieve that then? You mentioned about residential, um, and then yes. on, on site full. But the training program is going to be, 
you know, are we talking about documented? Are we talking about manuals? Are we talking about, you know, online? What are the, what are the options you see being re- the realistic options that are available these days? Achieve that. Yeah, so, so, so when we talk about training and skills development, the, um, I love, love the rule that the 10, the 20 and the 70 percent. So around about 10 percent of the knowledge will be imparted, um, in a formal training environment, e.g. A, a classroom, and we'll talk about some other options for formal training in just a moment. The, uh, 20 uh, percent of the knowledge will be um, developed and imparted um, as they work in a supervised environment with a, a coach or a mentor, and uh, and about seventy percent of the development will then happen as you go out there and make your own mistakes. And if you think back about when you first learnt to drive a car, um, that was exactly the, the ratio. You know that you'd get some instruction on you know the the brake and the accelerator and the clutch and the gear lever and all of those sorts of things. Um, then you'd get out on the road and you'd start to learn lots, but where you really started to learn was when you took off by yourself. Um, one of the key aspects of supporting that 70%, of course, is then having the support of someone to hold your hand and go back and say, oh, well, can this and this and this happened? Um, what should I have done or did I do the right thing? Yeah. Um, when we look at the form, there are a large number of them, and uh, thank goodness for technology, it's given us a whole range of strategies to support that. The, I suppose the underlying aspect of that is that um, these are just strategies and we need to make a, a solution that fits within the, the budget of the business, um, within the um, you know, geographic parameters of the business, and obviously when we're looking at franchising, uh, the chances are is that your franchisees will be geographically uh, dispersed, so we need strategies that we can effectively and and uh, within budget, uh, deliver quality training solutions. So the uh, the first one that we'll all be familiar with is the classroom. Um, get a group of people into a classroom or a skill centre, um, as as happened with my coffee uh, friend, uh, and develop the skills. Um, the uh, the next one is is for the tra- workers. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is that. The, uh, it's very expensive uh, to do one-on-ones all around the country. Um, with the advent of technology, we now have um, webinars such as or, or um, podcasts like we're doing now, and they provide um, a, a low-cost, flexible delivery strategy. Uh, but uh, you know, are the people really listening? And that's that, that's the second part of it. Um, there are many different strategies. Um, distance learning through workbooks is one. Um, online training is another. Uh, there are many, many different strategies. So I suppose right now in the training market, we've probably got more tools than we've had ever in the history of man uh, with the advent of electronic uh, technology. But uh, we've just got to make sure that we use it correctly and affect. Um, it's easy to drown people. And I always try to um, operate under the rule of three. It's interesting, I was doing some research on the internet and uh, on upselling recently, and uh, one of the websites that I looked at was the 27 steps to upselling effectively. Now, I don't know about you, but I probably would get lost after about three or four steps, and whether I could implement 27 steps uh, would be quite impossible. So it needs to be uh, follow the old KISS principle and keep it uh, short and simple. 
and I believe in the rule of three. So if you can teach people three things um, that they actually go out and do, then it makes a difference. Um, you know, like upselling. Uh, in a situation of upselling, you know, you need to try to increase the value of the product that they're buying. You try to sell them an associated product or you sell them an unassociated product. You just need to remember three things. And if we can break things down to that sort of simplicity, then the rules can work um, back out into the field. I like that. It makes a lot of sense. And uh, for our OCD people out there who are really into the compulsive detail and so forth, there's perhaps a steep learning curve and a serious lesson you need to do is get out and edit it and get that black felt pen out and just uh, cut 24 of those out and <laughs> soak it down to three. All right, so um, that's fine. We're talking about your initial training, whether it's online or, you know, or, or whether it's on site somewhere, whatever it might be in the classroom. You're talking about then the ongoing. So what's the ongoing commitment you need to do? In your case, you mentioned, you know, after four weeks you did an on-site review. And I presume it doesn't stop there if you're looking at a successful organisation and you're looking for business to grow. Yes, well, exactly, Brian. And I think this is uh, where we need to be uh, um, alert to the processes of integrating our systems. Um, a, a good quality manual for a franchise, I believe, is important um, because this designs the processes and structure of the business. And from a training point of view, um, it enables the uh, your training team to then effectively communicate those systems and processes not just to the franchisee, uh, but to their team as well. The uh, the second part, of course, is making sure that those processes are integrated. And, um, you know, we uh, sometimes use the term silo. And I think often um, I've seen examples where training and development have been siloed from the business. And the only time it's brought into the mainstream of the business is when there's an issue or a problem. And often that could be a little bit too late. So I think it's important to make sure that when we design our franchise system that we integrate the HR aspects of it uh, into that system um, and, of course, include training and development of the team as part of that process. So what we often find is that training uh, is a uh, siloed off to the side. And uh, often franchisors will do one lot of training and tick the box and, and then not realise that it has to be an integrated part of the process. Um, one of the key aspects of training is to have um, a good franchise document, um, a system, so that the processes and systems of the business are recorded. Um, it helps uh, trainers in two ways. First of all, it helps us understand um, the direction of the business and what we want to achieve. It understands the processes and systems that the people uh, need to perform, um, e.g. the outcomes. Um, and it also helps us understand how we can integrate training and development and HR into the overall operation of the business. Right, I'm with you. One of the examples. So if we look at the categories of training that are in the business, uh, there are a number of them, and probably the most common one is the induction training. And uh, induction training has many purposes. Um, for me, probably the two big categories are, are uh, first of all, the due diligence. So it's the ability for the franchisor um, and the franchisee, and we probably need different levels of training for those and their team. Um, 
to be able to understand and, and comply with uh, critical aspects of uh, both the, uh, um, but also the franchise agreement situation. So, and that can be two ways for the, uh, for the franchise or all the franchisee. So induction training provides an overview of uh, a, a facility to be able to prove that we've met our due diligence requirements. And that can be in the areas of, uh, obviously, workplace health and safety. Um, it can be in the areas of discrimination. Uh, it can be in the areas of uh, performance for the franchisee and the franchisor, uh, a whole heap of different areas. The second uh, aspect of induction, which I believe is critical, is that we want to get um, each team member, um, be it the franchise or the franchisee or the, or the workers in the business, um, to be able to perform as quickly as possible um, and be adding to the bottom line, adding profit to the business. And so the process of induction is designed to make sure that uh, they understand the systems and processes and that they are then able to apply those systems and processes effectively in the business uh, to make a profit. Because let's face it, that's what we're in the business of. And training should be seen as an investment in profitability, uh, not as a cost centre. This is in the area of skills training and development training. So once the person has gone through its induction, we, uh, their induction, we need to then make sure that they're um, performing appropriately in the workplace. And, uh, and there's lots of different strategies that we can use there. An initial face-to-face training, uh, a buddy system, um, performance reviews and those sorts of things. And, of course, when we get to the area of performance review, um, we need to break that silo down one more and get into the HR aspect of the business to make sure that we're treating each of our people equally um, with equality and also that they understand exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I've lost count of the number of times where an employer said, oh, John or Mary aren't performing very well, but when I've actually spoke to John and Mary, they've got no idea of what good performance is. No one's actually sat down and explained to them uh, the key aspects of their job role. Uh, I've asked to look for a, a job description. Um, there's no job description criteria. There's no performance criteria. So it makes it very hard for people to perform um, if they don't know what's expected of them. And training is a fantastic strategy uh, to effectively communicate those aspects to uh, the overall team. The um, next lot of training which, which we see often is correctional training. So this is where there's a fault or an error in the person's performance um, and they need to have that improved. It also sometimes is a fault or an error in the system of the, uh, of the business. Um, so they adapt new processes, um, and the people need to be trained in those new processes. Um, this is, again, fairly important because um, if we're looking at the broader picture of HR, to, uh, in a legal sense, prove that uh, it's provided support to the person to enable them to be able to perform. Um, and if we're looking at a termination situation, um, it's very critical so that we don't get stuck in unfair dismissal and all of those sorts of things. Right. And the the final part of training then... Oh, sorry, Brian, yes, go? No, no, just acknowledging. Carry on. Great. And uh, the final part, of course, is then the development of your people to move up within the organisation, to take on leadership roles or supervisory roles, um, and then provide career path training as well. 
So they're the common types of training that we have. Um, and I think that, uh, again, the importance of being supported with a good franchise system is critical. Right. Now, I can understand this. If we look at most franchise businesses, as with most businesses in their embryonic stage, they're not going to have that whole comprehensive suite of systems and facilities and programs. So we talk about correct training. Is that something that you believe you need to have clearly established at the beginning? Or is it something you would see implementing progressively as the business owner and their support team uh, perhaps become more understanding, more have a broader knowledge of the sorts of issues that are arising with franchisees with their training? Um, look, I think it's, um, it's a, a work in progress constantly. And, uh, you know, with training, um, with systems and processes, we need to be constantly reviewing them uh, on a regular basis to ensure that they're meeting the requirements of the market, uh, of our customers, and, uh, and also that they're working effectively. Uh, with uh, my training business, I'll, I'll give you a perfect example. Um, I had a, uh, uh, we had a number of trainers out in the field, about, uh, about 45 trainers out in the field. Um, that we're training trainees all around Australia, and they would uh, complete um, documents, assessment documents, and um, where our uh, admin staff would go through and do data entry and um, and file them away, and it was very time consuming. And we had a, a large admin team, um, which was costing money, obviously, and reducing the profitability of the business. Um, I developed an integrated communication system, which was internet based, which enabled the trainers to very quickly um, um, electronically so that when the data came in, all the admin team had to do was just check that the hard copies matched what had been put into the internet system. Right. And this then created um, a huge saving of time um, and a huge saving of cost. And it was really easy then for the trainers because each trainer had its own system, had their own system out in the field um, when we integrated it, um, it was just simply follow the uh, the steps on the uh, on the internet pages, um, and the data was captured. And we integrated that system into our um, you know, student record system, which meant that there was no data entry for my team in, at, at, at all. And we were able to reduce our staff by over forty percent because of that. Um, in actual fact, it didn't work that way because we got busier and busier, and those staff were then sort of absorbed. Um, but it gave us the capacity to work uh, far more productively and it put dollars on the bottom line. So um, that was developed over a period of time, though, and and it needed to be constantly reviewed. Wow. So there's music to the ears of any business owner, any franchisor, because I can see immediately the situation there of refining and improving your training methods of delivery and at the same time seeing improvement performance and the efficiency of your staff, so you're able to, just as you were able to do, you're in a position to expand the business, um, and to what degree may vary, but at the same time you're going to be reducing costs. So there's the profit that you get from investing in your training. It's an outcome that's straight, straightforward and, and uh, directly related. Excellent. Exactly. Yeah, straight, straight on the bottom line, Brian. And, and uh, you know, as I said earlier, often people see training as a cost centre. Um, but if they change the way that they look at it, 
um, and uh, start to focus on it being a, an ability to drive profit into the business, then it becomes a very exciting uh, format. I, I always remember um, Robin Williams in the movie Dead Poet Society when he got all of his students on the very first day to stand up onto their desks and look around the classroom. And, uh, you know, his message was that there's always a different way to look at things. You know, the classroom was exactly the same, but from standing on their desks, they saw a whole different uh, uh, perception of the classroom. And, and I think that the development of good quality systems are a key aspect in a, in a franchise. And the franchises that I've worked within that have been very, very successful, um, an example of the Shell Company, you know, they sold to Coles and they made an absolute monster out of it, um, is that is that they're very systems-focused. I think um, an advice that I could give to a new franchisee is that it's important not just to have you know, the products and the service and the branding and the offering. Um, it's also important to have a quality system in place as supported by uh, an appropriate training strategy that ensures that this um, all the work that you put in in building your brand is then communicated down uh, throughout the organisation and, you know, where the rubber hits the road, um, where our, that your customers ultimately talk to your team, um, that they're communicating the correct message uh, to those customers. Right. Okay, now that, that all makes absolute sense. And I think we've got some gems here with the various information you provided and the, the sort of uh, a few eye-openers as well. So, you know, everybody makes mistakes, everybody has issues. What do you see in the training Apart from you've mentioned a few areas we go, but has the common sorts of problems. What would you say? These are the common problems that people get, and maybe briefly how they can perhaps be avoided, David. Yeah, sure, Brian. Uh, there's there's a number of them, but the uh, the common ones that I see, um, and if I just take one step back and uh, talk about the importance of a franchise, is uh, the ability to provide a consistent offering to customers. So what I often see is that, um, and I know that it's a pain in the tail and most of the franchisees are shaking their heads and saying, oh, not more paperwork. But it's important that when you develop your training that you document the training process, that there is um, uh, you know, a, a, a timetable developed, that there are lesson plans produced, that there are consistent resources. Now, some of you might be saying, well, oh, I've only got one or two businesses, but what happens if that franchisee, uh, franchise takes off and suddenly now you've got 100 or 200 or 300 to ensure that you provide that consistent message to all of those new franchisees that sign up? And, and under the, um, you know, the franchising laws in Australia, if you've got one franchise or 3,000, you still have to be able to provide that support to ensure that that single franchisee is successful in the operation of their business. Um, so documentation and consistency is really important. Now, right down to the fact that your, you know, your PowerPoint slides uh, look consistent, that they're logoed, that you've got trademarks. And I know some of you people have uh, been through the, the legal process and, and you know, trademarking and those sorts of things are, are critical to protect your brand. So you need to make sure that they're used effectively right throughout the training process. The second common mistake that I see is that people will look at someone who's a very good operator, and an example could be my, my coffee barista, a fantastic coffee barista. However, 
was he the best person to actually deliver the training? Um, because, you know, he, he had no skills in that area. Ultimately, he was skilled up and they put him through a, a Cert for training assessor, which was fantastic. And, and we did some coaching with him and he became a great trainer. But, um, at the start, he was just a very, very good barista. And I see, uh, I see this happen often in businesses where they, uh, they put people in where they really don't have any knowledge, skills or abilities. They can't design training. They haven't got the instructional skills uh, development uh, area, um, all of those sorts of things. So you need to pick someone who's going to not only be good at that they're training in, uh, but they also need to be very good at presenting and delivering that training. That makes absolute sense. Great. And the, the last area that I see, um, the, the other common mistake, which is, is probably um, the worst one, is the fact that there's no follow-up. Now, they send people on a training course um, that the, uh, the training's great, everyone walks out feeling nice, you know, the, all the warm fuzzies, and we've all been there. We've, you know, got together and we've talked and chatted and challenged and learnt things and, and left that room so excited and, and motivated and ready to go. But then we get back into our businesses and, and, you know, suddenly the, the phone's ringing, the customers are, uh, have got issues, there's, you know, the supply of stock didn't arrive and, and suddenly all the things that we learnt in that training is forgotten and not implemented. So put a follow-up and implementation plan after the training is just so critical because we've made this massive investment in getting these people into a room and sharing all these exciting new things with them. Um, you know, the investment doesn't end there. You need to make sure you have an integration process in place. And... Um, that's one of the most common areas that I see of mistakes. When I've done some national rollouts for some other retailers, um, one example is for BOC gases. Um, they uh, they developed a national training program, which we rolled out 65 outlets in Australia, and um, I think it was 30 outlets in New Zealand as well for them. Uh, one of the most important things that they did was develop this integration strategy. And they took it even further because what they did was that they got all the regional managers and all the store managers uh, into a room and went through a change management process with them before we began the rolling out of the training. And we very clearly um, identified to these critical people, the managers, um, our expectations in regards to supporting the training program. Um, the rollout was hugely successful, 450 people we signed up on the training program um, and BOC were absolutely ecstatic about the level of performance that we were able to achieve as a result of the training. So um, that integration process is just so critical uh, in the uh, the effectiveness and the ultimate outcome of the, to be achieved from the training. You're an amazing resource of information. I've just... Fascinating listening to this, and we could talk for hours because I know I've got a wealth more questions, but they need to wait for another time. And I no doubt say to the listeners that I would, would stress to, to most of you, I think this is one of those uh, podcasts that's worth winding back and listening again um, with, an, uh, with, a, with a fresh pad of paper and some, some highlighters because uh, there's a lot of gems in there. I mean, I see the, the sort of things that, that you hear. You know, the, the, we talk about, I suppose, not going on us, but the fact that it is an investment in profit. It's not just a cost. So it's going to be 
the mindset to it. It's not like you're paying, you know, you're paying for petrol in the car or whatever it might be or, or, or postage costs. This is actually something that's going to give you dividends. Um, we, we as well look at that business as your rule of three. Keeping it really simple so people can have it in their head. I'm going to try and memorize a huge, great process that's just going to cause confusion and they end up missing the critical steps. Um, and for, for people to conscientious and looking to grow their business in whatever format, that ongoing commitment and the need to have the right tools, the right sort of manuals, the right sort of way, so you do have good tools um, and, and have them well documented. And as you say, it's a living, ongoing situation. It's work in progress, the whole thing. Um, I think if you maintain that attitude of work in progress and that, that effort's giving you profitability, it's, you're going to avoid some of those issues you mentioned about, you know, where, where jobs, where it slips because they haven't had good on, on the job training because the person that's training them is a top barista with a very poor trainer. So, look, there's a lot there. I won't go into more detail. I could talk for 30 minutes. So I've got three pages, four pages of notes here, which I'll certainly be reading through. But David, when I spoke to you earlier, um, you, you said you would very generously be able to make an offer to our uh, to our listeners on the podcast here from the point of view of giving them a little bit of assistance. Perhaps can you outline to me what you uh, what that was? Oh, thanks, Brian. Look, I'd love to offer a free consultation for any of the listeners. Um, perhaps uh, they could ask me the top six questions that they would like answered in regards to training and the delivery of training programs. Um, one hour for free consultation. Uh, consultation, sorry. Um, our phone number is one three hundred three zero two three one one, or they can email me at david at mentorforhire dot com, and uh, I, I'd like to lock that uh, that appointment away for them. Oh, that's fantastic! Thank you. I appreciate your generosity. Um, now it may may mean you're going to wait a little while, um, listeners, because uh, I know David's going to be busy handing those. I'll put that information into our email, so it's there for you to see. But that's been a fabulous session. I've thoroughly enjoyed it, um, and I hope that uh, you have as well, and you've, you've gained something from it. My, my point, I suppose, is, as with all this, don't be daunted. It's a step at a time. You know, you're starting at the beginning of the process as a new franchise, or, for example, getting the first step so that works is more important than trying to cover all these bases and doing it in a hurried manner. So my, my suggestion is that you do address the early part. You need to make sure you've got good initial training and that your is there, and then the rest of it's going to be involved. So it's a commitment to, to longer-term development of this because it is the whole and the efficiency of the business. So, uh, David, I'd like to just thank you so much for your time. I'm most grateful. I really do appreciate it. Um, and for those uh, listening... We work closely with David in a number of aspects, and uh, it may well be that you get to speak to him as part of, uh, of one of our programs anyway. But here I'll sign off for today. And David, thanks very much again for coming along. Thank you, Brian. It's my pleasure, and I wish all the, uh, the listeners all the very best. And also it's important to remember that there is help available, not to be daunted by some of this, and you know, we can help you out there with that. That's fantastic. I really appreciate that. Okay, everybody, I hope you've enjoyed this franchise radio show. There's another one coming up soon at the same spot on the dial. And look, you bet.